Good morning, Neighborhood Church. It is the Christmas season, and I am so excited to be with y'all here in the house and on the live stream. Um, I just really feel like the Lord is going to do something today. So um, in this season of Advent, with great anticipation, we look towards the arrival of our Lord Christ, who was prophesied to come and to save us from all of our sins, to reconcile us to the Father, to reconcile us to this world, and to reconcile us to one another. It comes from the Greek word perusia. It means the presence or arrival of. And this gives us a dual meaning in the Christian tradition, that we look back towards the arrival of Christ in the manger on Christmas Day, but that we also look forward to Christ coming, his second coming, to bring the fullness of his kingdom once and for all. And so today we're looking at the Advent preparation of love. And I'll be honest, when I was like, oh, love, that could go in like all the like kind of been there, done that kind of sermons. And I just felt like this angst and kind of reluctance to preach on those. Um, To be honest, I wanted to convey this new large message about love. I wanted to offer these like spicy questions and really like ruffle some feathers and, and give us some solutions for what love looks like in a waiting season. And I... I'm so thankful because God is in charge, and as I was sitting with him and preparing for this, he kept drawing me back to the simplest message, which does not mean it is simplistic. It just means that it is simple. It just means that we get to sit and meditate it on this phrase until the end of time, that God is love. Right? And so as I was thinking about the years that our community has gone through, the years that our country has gone through, I just felt like this this invitation for us to know and to believe and to trust and to extend that God is unequivocally unending love. And so this statement, God is love, appears in 1 John 4. It is very repetitive, so I'm going to read us through it, and then we're going to make some observations on it, as a good inductive leader in the manuscript study would do. Um, But I'm going to read for us from 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love One another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So I highlighted, obviously, love is repeated over and over and over again. The author John is very quite obsessive, 
with love, and I love that because there's so much that we can glean from this passage. Love is repeated 16 times in these nine verses, and you'll notice that the themes of like knowing God and the themes of like where our love comes from is scattered throughout. And so there's a couple observations I want us to sit in before we really define what it is so that you can kind of see both at the same time. The first thing I notice is that love comes from God. In verse 7, it very clearly states, love comes from God. It shows our identity that we are from God. In verse 7, it says, everyone who loves is born of God. Love is reliable and sustaining. We know and rely on the love God has for us in verse 16. And also, Love shows our connection to God and that we know him. There's all this language of us knowing God or we will be known by our love, all scattered throughout the scripture. One of the last things that I was struck by is that there's this inner, like this inner relationship between why we love and why God loves or how he shows his love. And in verse 10, it says, not that we loved. In verse 16 and 8, it says, God is love. So we love because God has loved us, has shown his love, has given his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. But there is no root to God's love because God is love. There's no need for him to draw on anything. There's no need for him to be prompted by anything because he himself is the epitome of what love is. Now, love can bring up all sorts of definitions and thoughts and feelings in our mind. And so I'm going to hand it over to the Bible Project. They are great at explaining these things. And so we're going to look at one of the definitions of love from the Greek, agape. And so we'll turn to that video now. One time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards 
poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. It is so powerful to think of the ways that God embodied love through his son, Jesus, and that he came and he didn't just preach about love, but he enacted love to every single person he encountered. This love of God is an active force that compels us to move towards somebody else, to go out of our way to serve and help another with no view of receiving anything in return because of what we have already received. As people who have received God's love, that literally will fuel us to then become love for other people. It's also why God chooses to move towards us and offer a way out when we have turned away from him. His loyal love is, is portrayed throughout scripture that he is always going to seek us. He is always gonna come after us. His loyal love is more powerful and more true than any other version of loyalty you can think of or imagine. God's love is not transactional or conditional. You don't need to do anything to receive it. His love is unyielding and trustworthy. He will never pull away from you. He will always draw near to you. No matter how frustrated you are, no matter how many questions you have, he draws near to you. So back in the scripture, we love because of what we have received from him, because he is good and he gives good gifts, because he is worthy of our love. We are in a covenant relationship with him, and so we extend our own love back to him. But God loves because he is love. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit has, is, and always will be this rich, generous, merciful, loyal love that is wildly beautiful and action-oriented. He is eternally wired and envelops the definition of love and offered his son as an incarnate embodiment of that love on earth. Right? I have heard this sermon time and time again. Right Throughout my whole childhood and th into my adolescence, these views I knew to be true. And what is so frustrating to me as a human is that I can know something with my head and have it still not affect my heart or my actions. So going back to my resistance on preaching on love, I realized as I was on a walk with Jesus that I probably wanted to have a new message about love because I was uncomfortable and it is easier than sitting and continuing to grow in messages that we have not yet fully received and acted out. Do you ever feel that way? You're like, I'm just gonna move on to this next season, Jesus. I'm done learning what I need to learn here. And God's like, nope, we're gonna do it again. We're gonna do it again and we're gonna do it again. The gift of walking with Jesus are these invitations into deeper discipleship with him 
to take something that you know to your head and that journey to the heart is a lifelong journey. And over and over again, the Lord will invite us into those moments, those teachable moments where we say yes to him. What do you wanna do in this moment? How do you want me to extend love in this moment? And you can say yes or no. If you say yes, you get a deeper view of what love is. If you say no, he is so gracious and he will give you another try. (laughs) Probably with that same person you were so frustrated with. So I think this also happens, these moments where you are asked to sit with something longer, you start to get a new sense of it when you go through a life transition, right? Like as, you, as you're sitting with friends and you're learning what it means to love them and you go a decade with your friend, you're like, oh, I need to know how to love you more and differently in different seasons. When I got married, I was invited into a deeper sacrificial love. And when I had Elena, I was like, Lord, I am a selfish human being and I am invited into a deeper, more sacrificial love. We also bought a home this year and there was moments where I was like, oh, I am invited into a deeper sacrificial love of what it means to love my actual proximate neighbors. I have the pleasure of living next to Randy and Cindy Riggs who are that kind of love on display. They offer to mow our lawns when we're gone on vacation. They offer to watch our child and care for her. I just watch them love the other neighbors in our, in our neighborhood who may have followed Jesus at one point, but maybe aren't now, and just continuing to be that kind of love. And I'm just so thankful that we get to be surrounded by one another. The other thing about being proximate to people who are also following Jesus is they get to see how you love right? And so there's these ways that I have been invited to think outwardly about our neighbors that sit on the other side and the ways that I can care for them and the ways that I can love on them. And so in these, in these transitional moments of our seasons of life, we get new opportunities and new ways that that love gets to be displayed. And so as we have been in a season with the fires and the pandemic, I've been struck by people who give so selflessly and have been drawn back to a moment that I had a few years ago as I was learning about St. Damien of Molokai. Um, He was one of the, he's literally called the saint of the lepers. And so I just wanted to share a little bit about him. Um, In the summer of 2018, I was reeling from a lot of family loss and trauma, and I was gifted the opportunity to learn from my university staff and colleagues in Hawaii, to learn from them and how they encounter Jesus, to learn about their kingdom, to learn about America's um, unlawful overthrow of their kingdom, and to really just be there as they are loving the hands and feet of their um, community. And it was a two-week experience, and so we spent the first week in Oahu learning about the kingdom of Hawaii and learning about the queen and how beloved she was and just how faithful she was to the very end, how gentle she was. And then we went over to Molokai, which is not normally like the top destination when people are like, I'm going to go to Hawaii like on my spring break. You don't normally choose Molokai because Molokai is is kind of sequestered off because during the leprosy epidemic that happened, they used Molokai as a, um, like an internment camp, as a isolation camp where they sent all the people who had Hansen's disease or leprosy. And they have a whole village called Kalaupapa. And much like the biblical times, these colonies were removed entirely from the civilization. In fact, when you found out you had leprosy, you were removed from your family, you were placed on a ship, 
you were dropped off at this island where they didn't even want to dock the boat. They literally threw their supplies and the people, the patients, into the water and said, good luck. They didn't set them up with homes. They didn't set them up with any sort of medical supplies. They just literally dumped them into the ocean and hoped that they could swim ashore. And some were not able to. And so from the very beginning, it is full of death and destruction and isolation and pain. And a lot of the inhabitants were Catholic. And so they're begging time after time, can you please send us a priest? And everyone was like, not me, not me. I'm not going over there. Until a man from Belgium named Father Damien felt the call to go to these people. And so he asked his bishop, who not only consented, but went with him and introduced him to the people. And he said, he is one who will be a father to you and who loves you so much that he does not hesitate to become one of you, to live and die with you. Father Damien sought not just to meet their spiritual needs, but their physical needs. He built homes, and he was really, really struck by the idea that if we do not even value these people in their death, then how will they know we value them in their life? And so he built coffins and performed funerals and dug their graves and protected it from the feral hogs that were on the island. And then from there, once people saw that he valued even their dead bodies, They allowed him in and he was able to minister to them. He changed their bandages. He became proximate to them. He never held it over their head, the ways that they were so angry at the ways that the Hawaiian government had isolated them. He never held it against them, what they said about God. He just ministered to them. And so I'm struck by the ways that he he was one that wanted to become proximate to them. He actually... I think as I was reading different books about him, as I was preparing for this trip, I read once that he prayed to receive leprosy so that he could really understand what it was they were going through. But he believed that the Eucharist, right, the communion elements saved him day after day from actually contracting the illness until he was there for 11 years. He was there 11 years in this community that was just kind of set off to die. And he rebuilt it so much that when other people came to visit, they thought they were going to just see this heaping pile of mess and death and destruction. And they found a community who was thriving. He had started choirs. He had started church services. He had done all these things that they would feel um, honored and dignified in their life. As he caught the illness, he, he was quoted to say, I would not be cured if the price of the cure was that I must leave this island and give up my work. I am perfectly resigned to my lot. Do not feel sorry for me. Now, I know that leprosy has a cure and that it's not around in the same way, but our world is broken and there will always be moments and seasons where people are marginalized and isolated. During the pandemic, I wondered what cost there was to so much isolation. Though I do believe we tried to act out of safety, there were moments where Jacob and I were like personally frustrated by the amount of ordinances that seemed to get in the way of tangible service. In the Christmas season last year, we couldn't visit friends in nursing homes or hospitals. Large communal meals to serve those in need seemed like they were shut down. And taking care of our widows and orphans looked like a job that we were unwelcomed and forbidden to do. And at first pass, I thought, man, they're taking away my opportunity to serve. 
Now, before you think I'm trying to make any sort of statement, I wore my mask to family gatherings and I was really careful about the people who were older than me and I wanted to protect them and offer their safety. But I also realized at a deeper reflection, wow, this doesn't actually change much of my life. All these things were taken away, all the ways that we weren't allowed to go into hospitals and nursing homes were taken away and my life did not seem that affected because I wasn't actually doing any of those things on a regular basis. So there was no cost to it for me. There was no loss. And I realized that even though things um, were shut down, that little had changed. And I didn't need an ordinance to tell me I couldn't serve because I was doing it to myself. And while our family gives towards missions and programs in our city, I feel convicted in a new way to live it out in a more tangible way. Our country and our world is suffering. And I'm praying for the church and preaching to myself that we would actually be the extension of God's love that we have been called to do. That if we have really received from the Lord the transformational love, that he will also impart upon us that love to extend to others. That it will actually be easy for us if we are living out of God's love. That we will get to choose it day in and day out in this Christmas season. And so as we sit in this time between Christ's first arrival and his second coming, We trust in God's love and are called to live it out. There are so many people who are waiting for God's love to show up. They're waiting for us. And so I long for us to be the people who can extend that. The season of Advent is meant to help us not just look ahead, but to reflect on our own hearts and needs. And that feels like God's invitation to us today. Maybe you're in a season where you were actually in need of receiving God's love. You may know it in your head to some extent, but it has not yet penetrated your heart and helped you to overcome lies that you believe about yourself or circumstances that you are in that you just want to choose out of and break cycles. I invite you to receive a prayer to break those off from our prayer team this morning. And I invite you to walk with someone who can continue pointing you towards the love of God because we cannot do this alone. Maybe it's also an invitation to ask for tangible love. Maybe there have been some unexpected bills this season or you need some gifts for your kids. I wish I could say that as a church, we anticipate every single need, Um, But we're not there yet. The Holy Spirit has not imparted all of that wisdom to us yet. And so we're going to need you to share that with us. And I'm going to pray that the Lord creatively meets those needs. Maybe you are invited like I am to turn outwards and look at what it really means to love with selfless, sacrificial, loyal love to those around you. I invite you to pray on that. There are a lot of ways to serve in our community, in your classrooms, in your workplaces, at your, in your families. And there's lots of ways to serve both financially and practically. And I believe that we are in need of true love, the truest form of love that we will ever experience this season. 
And I invite you to pray that the Lord would increase your love for the places you are called to. Because if we can't even love the places we are called to, it's gonna be really, really hard to serve there. So I invite you to take a risk to invite someone to interact with this God, this God of loyal, chesed love, this God of agape love, this God of unending, unyielding, unconditional love this season. So I'm gonna pray for us this morning. I'm gonna give us a lot of time to just be with one another. If you need prayer or if you wanna share ways that you have been able to love and serve our community this season, I invite you to invite others into that. Uh, Jacob was literally on the way to worship practice this morning when Randy was like, are you going to the Jesus Center? Because we do that once a month. And I was like, we do? That's awesome as a church. And I did not know that. And because I'm also not looking for it, I don't know that. But I just think there are so many ways that people have creatively looked for ways to serve in our community. The safe space is opening this winter, which is a way, it's a low barrier way for people in our community who live on the streets to have shelter in the really extreme cold nights. They need people to monitor those places. They need people to love on those people and welcome them and to drive them places and to get them up moving in the morning and help, uh, help welcome them to the new day. I was looking into that last night and I was like, that feels really costly to be up all night. But if God is calling us, then I think we have um, just a good invitation to answer. So I'm gonna pray for us. As I pray, if the prayer team can come up, and we want to be a community that prays for the places of deep longing, of deep transformation, and of deep needs in your families. Jesus, thank you that you are a good God, that you do not waver in your love because it is who you are. Thank you that you do not ever have to muster up love for us as your kids, that it is always there and accessible and waiting for us. And thank you for the invitations that you give to us as your kids. Thank you that we get to choose into saying yes to the sacrificial love that you portrayed while you were here on earth ministering to the people around you. Help us to say yes this season. In the small ways and in the big ways, would you invite us into a deeper intimacy with your love and in ways to extend that to the people around us? For the people who are on the stream, Lord, we just pray that um, you would continue to bind us together in the physical and in, this, in the electronic world, Lord, that you would continue to unify us and help us to find ways to serve one another, Jesus. And for whatever needs there are this Christmas season, we thank you that you are a good provider, that you are an abundant God who cares deeply, whose loyal, loyal love has been there since the beginning of time and will be there until the end of time. So Jesus, would you come would you mark us as a community of people who love and serve the people around us? We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much, church. We'll see you next week.